Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, I am the Dan from that title. Uh, I'm Dan Martin, a special effects artist and like podcast old hand now. <laughs> uh, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host. Sam Ashurst and I'm a scriptwriter, unpaid, director, unpaid and <laughs> I write about film for a bunch of different places and I am... Very excited to talk about Pulse today. Um, but before we do that, why don't you talk a little bit about the structure of this show, Dan? All right, I shall. <laughs> um, so every fortnight, we will delve into the Arrow catalogue, either back into the archives or at something upcoming. Um, and we'll talk about it in depth for a bit and all the various sidelines and conversational dead ends that we get stuck down during that. And then uh, once we've uh, finished doing that, we will give you a couple of recommendations based on the film we've been discussing. And then we'll also give you a bunch of recommendations based on the stuff we've been watching over the past couple of weeks. Because we watch a lot of films and we want to recommend some weird ones to you. But before we do that, Dan, plot. The plot? The plot of Pulse. Right, that's a stretch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So Pulse... Uh, I'm going to seat it a bit before I talk about the plot, what what it is, where it came from. I've just realised I'm not actually unpaid as a director, so I, I take that back. <laughs> carry on. I might get in trouble from the people who paid me. No, I think you'll be fine. It's fine, right, we'll carry just, on. We'll pretend we've... It's... <laughs> the year is 1997. <laughs> <laughs> right, Pulse. Pulse. Um, so, um, a slightly late addition to the J-Horror resurgence... Um, kick-started by Nakata with Ringu. Um, Pulse was uh, director Kiyoshi Kurosawa's second, third, third horror outing, um, having started off in Pinku films and then gone into Yakuza stuff. Yeah, tons of Yakuza stuff. Tons of Yakuza stuff. Uh, and sort of like gone thrillery occasionally veering into horror, but yeah. never proper horror yet until... Um, the, the two before this. So still mm-hmm. relatively new to this, um, but a little late in the day. Uh, and he, like a lot of them, uh, a lot of those was sort of like dealing with the modernity and how that of Japan and, and the, the saying goodbye to the, the old Japan. Uh, and that led into this. So this is a story partly about technology um, and technology is a gateway and a changing catalyst in how people interact with each other. Um, but it's also a, um, a film about isolation uh, and about how all of these devices designed to keep us closer electronically end up pushing us apart socially. Um, and so the, the plot, at least occasionally, in my opinion, takes a back seat to the social metaphor um, and gets a little lost occasionally. But it's beautifully atmospheric and, and really tight visually and auditorily. Um, it's a series of occasionally connected but often not connected narratives intercut um, with different people experiencing a, uh, a sort of a thing whereby, and you can kind of glean this from things said, how spoilery are we being with this one? Um, I, I would prefer it if we're not too spoilery because um, it's a relatively recent. It's a, an older film, obviously, but it's a relatively. Can I say that there are ghosts? Release. Yes, you can. Of course, right. you can. Can I say how the ghosts get to our world? Um, yeah, that's pretty intrinsic to the plot. Yeah, isn't it? I think that's All fine. Right. So basically, we're still on plot. By the way, we're still on plot. Well, a la 
Day of the Dead, when there's no more room in hell, they do talk about the afterlife being full, mm-hmm. being a maximum capacity. They talk about the rate of birth, the rate of death, how full the afterlife must be, mm. how it must have a maximum capacity, um, and that sooner or later they will find a way out. Well, what's interesting about that is that um, sort of the, the very, very original basis of the idea um, came from uh, a thought that Kurosawa had in, I think, the mid-90s. Um, but long before he did this, which was the idea of doing an alien invasion movie, but with ghosts invading instead of aliens. So, um, yeah, that ties in quite nicely with that. I'll I'll come back to this, but weirdly, that's kind of where the sequels to the American remake go. Oh, interesting. But I'll I'll get into that later. Oh, good. Those are a fun topic of conversation. (laughs) But the, um, yeah, so basically, the internet as a relatively new um, invention at the time that this was made in 2011? 2001. 2001. Ten years out. Mm-hmm. Good job, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> when this was made in 2011. No, 2001. Still 2001. <laughs> 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 um, uh, the internet hadn't really permeated Japanese culture mm. that much. And it did, <clears throat> I think, suffer a little bit by the fact that it was held back a few years before it came over to America and England, which meant that the internet was had been kind of covered as a media topic a bit more by the mm. time it came over here. Um, but yeah, so the internet is has been exploited by the inhabitants of the afterlife and they are using computers and cell phones to come through to the, the real world. But parallel to that, um, there's an in- both figurative and literal increasing isolation for the characters that carries on through the film. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's really interesting that you say that about about the internet and, you know, the, the sort of how it was the early days, because I think even though it was very early on, um, even in this country, you know, 2001, the mainstream internet certainly isn't anywhere near what it is now. No, of course. Um, but I think it's incredibly prescient because, you know, we, we're now in an age where you can read an actor's last tweet before he died and, you know, sort of find meaning or some sort of resonance in it. Um, so yeah, the idea of, sort of ghosts reaching out. Well, the, there is a company that will use an algorithm to scan your social media profile and then continue to tweet and post on your behalf based on the kind of things you would have said and the kind of things you'd retweet. And yeah, it's like a service you can pay for. Yeah, and after the, your death. Yeah, that's amazing. You become it, a ghost in the machine at that point. I mean, I mean, even to the extent that you know. One day I'll be dead. Um, Dan, you won't be. You're immortal. Um, but one day I'll be dead, and people will still be able to listen to this podcast and like hear my voice. That's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Have I made this bleak already? I've no, made it's this fine. Bleak, haven't it's I? Fine. Okay, good, good. It's a relatively bleak film. I feel it's on on brand. On brand, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, we should sort of go into talking into specifics. Um, the opening scene. Now, the opening scene. The the first line of dialogue in the film is. It all began one day without warning like this. And um, I think Kurosawa kind of likes that kind of once upon a time style beginning. Cure starts in a similar way, doesn't it? But that's also a very, very alien invasion type Mm. intro. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that, what you said about it being, having been an idea he had to do it as an alien invasion movie. Well, uh, not, not a ghost invasion movie. No, but yeah, yeah, but exactly, in, the, on the, yeah, yeah. in the model of an alien invasion movie. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and also um, uh, another thing linked to, to what you said about sort of the plot and how kind of 
disparate it is. Um, he actually, Kurosawa said that he wasn't sure how long the Japanese horror craze was going to last. Um, and so he, he seriously thought that Pulse might be his last chance to do, uh, you know, a, a horror film. So he created the framework, sort of the, the basic plot, and then basically put all of his remaining ideas for horror films <laughs> into this one film. So that kind of explains why it's so varied and, you know, um, that's, is part of what makes it special for me. I, I should say at this point, I loved Pulse. This was the first time I watched it, um, believe it or not. Um, it, it's, it's one that sort of somehow passed me by. But, um, yeah, I really, really connected with it, both in terms of the style and sort of the emotion of it, which I'll, both of which I'll get onto later. But what, how did you feel about it, Dan? Um, I thought it started incredibly strongly. Mm. Um, and then it kind of got into explaining itself mm-hmm. and I wasn't satisfied with the explanation. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred that they'd been, that they'd committed to super oblique mm-hmm. or they'd been a little bit more forthright with the narrative. Mm. It's, um, but instead we got this kind of middle ground, which is the cod philosophy of, oh, well, the afterlife's full and, Mm. People die every day. It stands to reason that ghosts are real. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Dan did laugh at that bit when we watched it. (laughs) There's me having a, you know, profound existential experience on one side of the sofa and there's Dan on the other side going, (laughs) guffawing. This is nonsense. Yeah. But, um, you still like it though. Oh yeah, I still very much like it. Um, I mean, it's, I've, I I was a big fan of the, of the sort of the Japanese horror resurgence when it first happened. Mm. Um, and, and followed it until it started to fall apart. Yeah. And then for quite some time after that. Yeah. Um, so I did sort of take in quite a lot of these. Um, and it's definitely there at, like, at the top end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the best. No. It's not, I mean. No, no, no. There I, are, I, I don't know how many people, I'm surely some people think it's the best. Um, They're th- wrong. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I think we'll get onto that later in, uh, we, we had a nice tweet from someone, but, um, Jamie Graham, um, who is an excellent horror expert slash writer, um, ranks this as his favorite J horror, apparently. I haven't heard that directly from Jamie, but, um, someone tweeted us that. Um, so it is, you know, there are some people out there who really, really love it. Oh, no, and it's a fantastic film. And I yeah. think that the, the things that are great about it are absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it's only because it has certain things that don't appeal to me personally that it doesn't rank up there as, as one of the best. I think that's um, yeah, it's it's really good. Shall we talk about the really good bits? Yeah, let's or, talk about or, the really or at least good bits. The bits that we both agree on. Yeah, let's do that. Um and you want to tackle first. Well, it's it's very tricky because I think the bits that we agree on, we're gonna just basically we're gonna really talk around uh, around this film because I, I do feel like there's a lot of people out there who won't have seen this one. Um so I'm gonna very obscurely say the bit involving this the guy going behind the sofa. Um, oh, right. Okay, I didn't realise we were going to be that specific. I thought we'd just be like, I like the lighting. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I like the lighting. But no, there's... there's um, basically, okay, let's talk even gener- more generally than that. The ghost scenes, the majority of the ghost scenes yeah. are particularly creepy and well done. They're very varied, um, which sort of points to the fact that he did just sort of chuck everything into this one film, but um, they're, they're not exactly consistent, the appearances of the ghosts, but they're all very creepy and, and very well delivered. They do, I do feel that they're, them, like, stylistically, they do owe a lot to the J-horror that's come before. Absolutely. I don't think the appearances of the ghosts themselves 
were anything particularly unique or novel. No. Um, Absolutely not. There was a there was sort of one of the things that determines defines the subgenre of the J horror is is the way that the the undead are portrayed. Absolutely, and it doesn't really stray from that too much. Yeah, and I don't think uh, Kurosawa thought too deeply into that stuff. Um, you know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay, all these ghosts leave behind this kind of shadow on the wall, and you know. Is it like, you know, when people are killed in a nuclear attack and, you know, the, the, the shadows are burnt uh, onto walls or surfaces or whatever? Oh, yeah. um, and I'm like, oh, is it referring to that? And then, you know, you watch the incredible extras on the disc and there's an interview with him, a long interview. I think it's about 43 minutes long. And when it gets that bit, he just says, yeah, I just wanted to have a stain on the wall. Just wanted to put a stain on the wall. Fine. Good. But do you, do you think that maybe there's a certain part of that being a, an imposed aesthetic? Like, it, it may not have been a conscious reference. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's such a, such a strong image and for it to be so ingrained in society. Yeah. You look at a lot of, like, Japan has a history in film of getting very, very upset with depiction of certain things mm. that all relate back to that particular or those two particular events in Japanese history. Mm. And so there are a lot of films that have either been cut down or just not released because mm. of the way they deal with that kind of thing. Um, it's obviously very strongly like present mm. in the in the culture and the cultural aesthetic. So I, I think if you... And and those and the way he's done it is so close to the description of that image, yeah. That it has to be there has to be a connection there, yeah. But he just didn't fancy going too deep into it on the uh, on and the extra. But the extra is yeah, amazing. Um, the extras in general are very good. Yeah. Um, what have we got? We've got um, that lovely effects. There's a series of um, featurettes that are talking about various deaths within the film which obviously we won't go into not detail just, not on. just deaths but special effects heavy sequences yeah exactly yeah but um but the reason that i think they are all deaths though i don't think it's um, there's a dream one of them is just a dream but basically um it's not just so you've got the behind the scenes footage of them sort of putting these sequences together but then you've also got interviews about those specific moments and talking about not just how they did it but why they did it why in they that way. arrived at the aesthetic that they that they did which yeah. is really nice which um, is, isn't something you see very often yeah so you've got kurosawa saying oh well when this happens in real life i think people would react like this but the way to best imply that or or infer that have the audience infer that is mm. to shoot the person's uh, spectator's reaction like such and such exactly and and it's a really nice insight into how he wanted to make the audience feel when they saw these effects rather than just the mechanical side of the effects as well although it does cover that as quite neatly as well exactly i think there's a quote from that extra where he says um film is a medium in which you describe things as they are which i think is a, a wonderfully simple way of, of putting uh, or putting, it means nothing <laughs> it means tons dan you stop it okay anyway go on what, what have you got there what's um, next I wanted to talk about Hayashi, uh, Junichiro Hayashi, the DOP. The, the cinematography, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, another another fantastic extra on the disc is a similarly length, uh, maybe slightly shorter, yeah. um, interview with him just sat at a bar. <laughs> it's actually... Chatting, like, it's amazing. It is legit one of the top three extras I've ever seen. I'm not joking. It is amazing. In terms of like... 
Um, both the setup where he's just, you know, sat there with a fag and a drink in front of the tons of bottles and he's sort of sat at an angle that's sort of slightly away from the Instead camera. Instead of having like, to turn over his shoulder to talk. Yeah, ex- right. exactly. It's like, it's really non-traditional. Um, but it does feel like a setup you'd see in a Kurosawa movie because Kurosawa is very into letting the action freeform within a frame. Completely. And likes to have people 45 degree rear profile yeah. or leaving frame for a few seconds and long takes you know not not too many cuts and sometimes well actually this doesn't happen in this extra but we'll get onto that we'll get onto that let's stick to the, <laughs> let's stick to the extra for now and then we'll go onto the camera itself but um yeah the the interview isn't just sort of slightly unusual in terms of the setup it's incredibly honest and in fact there are several moments where the TV <laughs> kind of basically says that Kurosawa is a bit weird. He says it a lot. In, a lot. In, a, in like a minute. He says yeah. it five times. It's so good. It's so good. So what were you going to say he about He also that? is quite like warts and all about himself as well. My oh, favorite, it's great. My favourite line Absolutely. of his from that is when he says, I didn't, I didn't get hired that much because of my bad attitude. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like he was to- he's talking about his own arrogance in his early days and he talks about how, you know, he... Um, had a very strong opinion on one film and kept that opinion right up until he was proved wrong and basically learned a really valuable lesson from it when he saw the the, the finished film. So yeah, we're not going to spoil all of that. It's Just watch it. It's worth the price of the disc alone. (laughs) What have you got there? Well, so the the thing I found interesting about Hayashi on this um, in relation to this film was that he also shot Ring. Mm. He also photographed Ringu for the, the Japanese Ringu. I'll just call it Ring um, uh, for Hideo Nakata, and then he later shot Darkwater for Nakata as well. Um, Nakata with Ring particularly kind of set the blue green aesthetic that would be all over J horror um, and would kind of go to its logical conclusion with uh, Juon, uh, which is just basically white and blue for quite a lot of the movie. Um, and yet with, um, Pulse, it's really, really Western tones. It's very earthy and, and yellows and reds. There's not very much outside of the, the before world in the narrative, which is a greenhouse that some of the characters work in, an industrial greenhouse. Um, there's really not that much green or blue in the whole film. And actually the transition from yellow to red is used as a sort of character marker for certain events happening in the film. Uh, when you watch it again, or for the first time, um, notice the first time each character wears red in the movie. Um, they're normally normally kept away from the colour red until a certain event. Um, which, yeah, it, the, the, the aesthetic is very, very specific. And I, I had a theory on it, um, and I actually emailed... Um, Hayashi about it and have not heard back, but that's oh. that's my that's my fault because I only did it I only did it yesterday. Um. Now, now, Arrowheads, dear listeners, Dan set this up for me before we recorded this podcast. He's like, oh, I, I emailed Hayashi. I'm like, okay, don't tell me, don't tell me. I want to hear it on the podcast. Well, and as it t- turns out, told you. he hasn't replied. He hasn't replied. <laughs> I did also speak to a bunch of other DOPs. Oh, good. Um, about my theories on it. Um, and a very interesting point was made, which was that uh, in 2001, this was the height of the silver retention process development, mm-hmm. which was probably most famously seen in things like Seven, um, which was a, a development process that left a very specific aesthetic on the film. Mm. Um, and this was the, the look here is probably that. Um, my initial thought had been that because, uh, and 
forgive me if I'm going into slightly too much film detail here. Uh, so it's pre- it's commonly understood that Fujifilm, which is the primary stock used in Japan, um, handles greens and blues, tilts towards greens and blues, and doesn't really do as well with the pinks and the reds and the yellows. Um, the earthier tones, whereas Kodak, the American film, is the opposite. Right. Um, this was initially slightly true, but it was more to do with the developing chemicals than it was to do with the actual film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was because of the skin tones the films were being developed to handle. Right. Um, and actually, by the time this was made, that was kind of by the by. Mm-hmm. I had initially thought that this was American-style lighting being used on Fuji stock was creating this color difference, right. this particular aesthetic. Um, but it seems more like, especially having watched some of those extras, that it was about um, uh, Kurosawa and Hayashi trying to create this feeling of unease. Yeah, there's a um, there's a trick used in a scene in a bus quite near the beginning where they've one of my favourite shots. They've composited the background, so they um, Hayashi talks about the fact that they uh, actually filmed it with a rear projection setup. Um, but Kurosawa wanted the discomfort and disjointed nature of that being a superimposed background. And actually, the background and the interior of the bus are shot at very different angles, so they don't quite line up, which is a trick he used in um, The Cure as well. Mm. At the beginning of The Cure, he, there's a scene on a bus, and they just put uh, clouds in the background instead of any like real-world space at all. And so he's, yeah, all the way through, he's deliberately making decisions to kind of throw off the audience and make them feel slightly uncomfortable. And I suspect that that slightly weird lighting system is is part of that aesthetic. It's very effective. Mm, absolutely. And um, just just one last thing on, on Hayashi, the, the cinematographer. Um, apparently he was given uh, Suspiria to watch as a reference, <laughs> of, um, but he couldn't watch it to the end because it was too scary. So um, that's pretty cool. That takes us very neatly into the next bit I wanted to talk about, which is Takafumi Hakita, who did the score. Yes. Which is absolutely breathtaking. I think it's safe to assume that he was also given a copy of Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, sort of, yeah, it's it's an interesting mix because it's, it's orchestral, it's got the, the sort of sing-song style of um, so much... Screamy. Of, well, no, I think that there's a there's definitely melody there. Um, it, it does get a bit screamy, but... um but it, Yeah, but it, it, it's very sing-song, but also there's a lot of ambient stuff in there as well. Oh, yeah, it's so lovely. It's a really interesting mix um, for the score. With all my favourite horror films, the line between score and sound design is a very fuzzy one. Yeah. Um, and this falls very firmly into that category. It's it's really lovely. There's a there's a video doing the rounds online at the moment, and it has been for a while, um, about a, an instrument that was built for a sound designer a few years back called the Disquiet Engine. Mm. Um, and a guitar maker friend of his built it, and it's like springs that you play with a violin bow and ticking pendulums and all that kind of stuff and it's designed for live playing this kind of sound because that composer um didn't like the fact that everyone has started using the same samples so everything started to sound the same yeah whereas this because it's early on in that sort of audio aesthetic is all quite fresh and exciting mm. and it's a really fantastic and discordant score yeah no it's 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 incredible and um yeah, the combination of all of these things, like um, so, the sort of the swooping camera that that brings your attention to to something that you might not have seen, the sort of the block reveals, the mixture of sing song music with an ambient score, 
um, the scares coming from staring to the black. Like these are all things that, you know, I've seen in other stuff, but the specific combination in this film sort of genuinely, you know, it unnerved me and entranced me. And, um, you know, I don't want to go too much into this, but, um, I had a short film at Fright Fest last year called Hell's Garden. And, um, I hadn't seen Pulse before and it was like watching something that stylistically really replicates my own vision, if that makes sense. Um, like from now on, if anyone gives me a chance to direct a film, I'm just going to say, if you want to know what it's going to look like, probably look at Pulse. Maybe not quite as mad, but, as, as um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a really sort of profound experience for me. Like I, and emotionally as well, like the themes it deals with. So, you know, depression, loneliness and grief and sort of the idea that, you know, you, you carry the dead with you. Um, well, there's a, there's a thing in yes. Japan, uh, hikikomori. Oh yeah. Um, which is, uh, a withdrawal from society leading to one's own demise. Oh and wow. It's, it's become the term for, um, kids that play on the computer so much they starve themselves to death. Right. Oh, which wow. Which obviously yeah, wouldn't yeah, quite yeah. have taken hold, but did exist culturally at the time of this movie. And I feel that it's very much like in there with what this movie is about. Absolutely. Because it's yeah. like, like. But it's really prescient. Like I say, yeah, it really ties into lots of modern concerns. It feels like a fresh film, but sorry, go on. Oh, no, sorry. I was gonna. Well, actually, I, I kind of feel like I'm about to step on the toes of one of the questions we got. So maybe I should. All right, yeah, we'll, a bit. We'll, we'll save that. We'll save that for extra features. But, um, yeah, I, I think we, we can probably start to wrap this up, um, because we don't want to go into too much spoilery detail and, um, we've covered quite a just, widespread. Can I talk about the sequels to the American remake? I mean, you can if you want. Yeah. Yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they're but will that go, will that go into the spoiler zone? No, I don't think so. Okay. I really don't. Skip ahead 30 seconds. Go on, Dan. It's going to be more than 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Skip ahead 20 minutes. Look, at we're running out of time, though. No, we're so. fine. That's got all the bit at the beginning where we were just chatting. Okay, then fine. Michael cut off. We'll give Michael a proper shout-out this week. Well, yeah, definitely. Um, so, in the sequels, uh, I'm just going to skip over the second one, which is kind of more of the same, but with a trying to run away. The second one is Pulse meets Ring. So, in the second one... They're trying to escape the curse of the internet, and they um, um, we all. and they go to a log cabin, and then someone opens an email because they're a fucking idiot, <laughs> and the ghosts get out and come for them. But in the third one, um, it, well, I'm just going to read you the first line of the IMDb synopsis. Seven years into the invasion, humankind has fled the cities where billions have, have died from a plague spread through the internet. Yes, I feel that's a tiny bit spoiler. Oh, it's not. Okay, that's fine. not what's going on in the first one at all. Okay. But it is, interestingly, very close to the kind of sequel you could imagine if you were only told about Kurosawa's intent for the original. Yeah. Because, like, you know, humankind has fled the cities where billions have died from a plague spread through the internet. That's, that sounds like an alien invasion, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously it just turns into nonsense. The, um, there's this guy, Joe Sisson. I may not be pronouncing his name properly. I take a lot more care over the Japanese names. Um, who seems to have made a, a career out of buying the rights to and then making unnecessary sequels uh, to things. He wrote and produced the Mimic sequels. Uh, he did. He wrote. He did the story for Hellworld. Oh wow! Yeah, 
I uh, did prophecy sequels, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he's he he thought well, pulse. That's a that's one to get on the gravy train of. Absolutely, get that brand in there. The remake of pulse. Um, but yeah, I I think that you know overall, uh, I I if you love extras, buy this disc because you know it's, yeah, it's, it's really got, good. It's got some of the best extras I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, if you're up for a slightly weird um you know off the beaten track j-horror then uh, it's definitely worth a buy dan how do you feel about pulse uh, yeah uh, yeah i think I've, I've covered my feelings i really like it um i'm not one of these people that needs to think every frame of a film is a masterpiece to enjoy it yeah um i do by and large think this is a very good film um it's a it's a little slow at the in the second act I said that about Psycho 2 as well, which I also mm. really like. Oh, yeah, no, I think it's really good. It's really, really good. And it's it's well worth a watch, and it does have really, really good extras as well. So it's a nice... It's a, it's, I'd definitely say it's an essential watch if you're into J-horror. Okay, great. Well, we shall move on to uh, recommendations based on this film. Dan, yeah. what have you got for us? Um, I don't know which one to go for first. Um, so my first one isn't a movie. Uh, my first one's a TV show. In fact, it's an animated TV show from Japan, and it's called Len... Uh, L-A-I-N and then it has the subtitle Serial Experiments but that might be an American edition Um, it's a really nice it's a little bit later on um, not much actually I think I'm trying to remember I don't know the date I just know when I first saw it uh, and I think I first saw it in 2001 so it's it must predate this very slightly or 2011 2011 well it's definitely before that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, it's about a. Um, it's it's set in a sort of very adjacent world where all the children in the Japanese schools are being given computers because computers are the new thing. And uh, when a girl at Len, the titular character's school, commits suicide by jumping off a building, it sort of it opens the the usual existential questions of why would she do it? None of us knew what was wrong. The way Japanese drama often deals with suicide, but um, she, the girl, starts speaking to Len through the computer. Um, which kicks off a whole series of events. It's um, it's very stylistically shot. A lot of the time, it'll be white backgrounds uh, with just um, sort of silhouette electrical wires crisscrossing them. But instead of them being pure silhouette, they've got sort of stuff going on inside them. And the whole sound design is very like laid over with electrical hum and white noise. Um, it's a really, really interesting and unique TV show and well worth a watch. Oh, that sounds great. I haven't seen that, so I will check that one out. Um, my recommendations, uh, first off, I'm going to sort of say two at once very quickly and hope that Dan doesn't notice. Um, well, are you doing three? He's sneaking in three. <laughs> um, Cure and Before We Vanish. Now, the reason I say both of those is because they're both by the same director and also the director of Pulse. Um, Cure, because it is... Um, it's from 1997, so um, pre-Ringu, um, and I, I mean, Dan and I have sort of slightly differing views on this, I think, but um, I found Cure to be more scary in a way, um, because it's about, um, without going too far into spoilers, it's about people who suddenly, randomly start killing people in their lives, Um no apparent reason initially um and they don't really remember doing it um or why they did it and it's kind of a detective who's trying to solve these sort of crimes that are only really linked by 
people having X's carved into their chests. Throats. Throats. Oh, he's the special effect. It cuts both carotid arteries. They make a very specific point of that. Dan saw this two days ago. I saw this (laughs) maybe five years ago. So, um, but yeah, um, Cure is amazing. And then very quickly before we vanish, um, which I saw at Cannes, um, which is Kurosawa doing an alien invasion film. And it actually shares a lot of interesting visual and tonal connections with uh, Pulse, though it's a much straighter narrative. but it has his very distinctive style of plotting. Dan, what is your next recommendation? Uh, So my next recommendation is another 2001 film. Uh, It's called Inugami, Mm -hmm. a Japanese horror film. Um, It's not one that's about technology, which was very much the the fashion at this point. Uh, So it was bucking a trend, uh, and it was back to the, the sort of the rich, older tradition of horror in Japan of Japan's Pretty full of ghosts and hauntings. Oh and yeah, <laughs> all that kind of all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, um, but it also is one of my favourite uh, subgenres of Japanese horror or some subgenres, mm-hmm. um, which is a "You're Not Welcome Here" horror. Oh, great! When someone turns up somewhere, often an island, not an island in this case, but still isolated just by how far out into the countryside it is, um, and is then not received well by the locals. Um, and Japan does it incredibly well. Um, in this instance, it's a school teacher. Um, a young school teacher comes into this, into this, um, town, falls in love with a local girl, uh, and she is the reason that he stays even when stuff starts getting wacky. Um, Inagami is the name of the film, obviously, but also the name of a, a god, a dog god in Japanese mythology, which hopefully will be enough to entice you to track it down. It's really, really worth watching. Another one I haven't seen. That sounds amazing. Um, and very quickly, um, the other film I'd like to recommend is Inland Empire, um, the David Lynch <laughs> film, um, uh, which, um, you know, uh, I love and shares a lot of kind of the same sort of surreal atmosphere of this film. Like there are there's certain sections... Um, that we can't go into of Pulse that feel very Lynchian. Um, and it's kind of got a similar sort of narrative atmosphere as well. So I, I feel like, um, Inland Empire is one of Lynch's more underrated movies. Um, I absolutely love it. I'll never forget the first time I saw it at the cinema. It was a clear day when I went in and it had snowed when I came out and I felt like I'd been hypnotized, um, while I was in there. Um, yeah, I really love Inland Empire. I suspect Dan doesn't share my I've not seen it. Oh, right, well. Yes. I just didn't even bother. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> but no, you know what? I think you've convinced me. I'll give it a go. Okay, good. I'll give it an Empire a go. Good. So that is recommendations based on the film. Let yeah. us do recommendations based on our busy lives. Um, what have you got for us this week, Dan? Uh, well, I'm going to start off with a bit of a shell. Uh, I was lucky enough to get invited. Well, we were both lucky enough to we get were. invited to a, uh, a distributor's screening of Villainess, yes. which Arrow are putting out. Uh, they're going to be playing it at Fright Fest in August, mm-hmm. the end of August, and then it's coming out on a cinematic release in September. Um, I didn't really know that much about it. I knew it was a Korean actioner, violent yeah. actioner, which I'm immediately sold on. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's definitely going to draw comparisons, and I've done this already myself, uh, to Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, but mm-hmm. that's mostly because it's got a kick-ass woman in it. Um, it's probably not going to get as many comparisons to The Raid 2, although I have also done that. I think that's only because The Raid 2, at least in my opinion, isn't quite as good as The Raid. But um, 
this takes the best bits of the Raid 2 and amplifies them, puts them mm. under a magnifying glass. It's absolutely fantastic. It's got a super delinear narrative, which starts to make sense about halfway through, which I really like. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's... The, the, the biggest criticism you could say of it is that occasionally the visual conceits that tie together each of the fight scenes sometimes have to be committed too hard enough that it is at the cost of uh, the actual fighting itself. Right. That said, the fighting is of such a high standard that even yeah. when it slips occasionally, it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, it's got POV, POV fight scenes that are better than Hulk or Henry. It's got vehicular chases so. in it that are some of my favourite. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, annoyingly, I couldn't I couldn't make the screening for various reasons. Um, and not only did Dan get to go and I didn't, but um, my friend Terry White from Empire texted me after she got out of the screening to say i've just seen a film that you'll absolutely love <laughs> which was sent with the best of intentions but i was like oh god damn it um so i will be seeing it with the rest of you at fright fest um and actually uh, in extra features i talked to paul mcavoy about the villainess so you'll have a bit more about it coming up um my first recommendation from my fortnight of watching is a film called Sigournaweisen, um, and that is, that is the title it's being released under. Um, and it's by the director, uh, Seijun Suzuki, um, who did amazing, um, has made amazing gangster films. Um, uh, Youth of the Beast is one of my favorite films ever. That's another really? very quick recommendation from 1963. I think. You're really packing in the recommends. Yeah. yeah I, and, um, but yeah, uh, Sigourney Wisen is, um, very different to his other stuff. So maybe if you haven't seen his other stuff, watch that first because I think I had a sort of deeper appreciation of it because I had seen that, that older stuff. But it's a basically to sum it up, it's a two and a half hour art film, um, about, um, the relationship between a kind of straight, laced family man and a kind of wild man it's also a ghost story and it's got some of the most beautiful shots i've ever seen it's very weird it's very long it's very slow it's amazing arrow academy have released it as part of the tie show trilogy i think it's called um and there's two other films in that set that i haven't seen so um I, I can't wait to watch those, and I very much recommend the first part. Dan, what is your next one? Uh, it's a 1932 <laughs> comedy noir. Yes. Um, I watched a film that's been on my list for absolutely ages. Uh, I have a Turner Classics movie. Turner Movie Classics. No, TCM? TMC? Yeah. TCM. Anyway. Uh, TCM. Uh, copy. And uh, it's called The Penguin, the Penguin Pool Mystery. Um, directed by George Archibald, Archainbald. Um, it's fantastic. It's one of the first examples of the spinster detective. Um, and it has a, a schoolmistress getting caught up in a murder at the old New York Aquarium. Oh man. And then refusing good. to leave it. <laughs> so it does have, that sounds great. It does have a lot of footage of the old New York Aquarium, which doesn't exist anymore. And actually it's, when I was doing a bit of research into it, it, it's sort of regarded as the best archive of the architecture of the old New York Aquarium mm. because it's, it's all been changed and torn apart and the actual aquarium itself has been moved now. Um, but the film itself is very, very funny. It's really, really nippy at about 65, 70 minutes. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very funny. Uh, and it does have a scene where some penguins just bugger off out the back of shot when no one's paying attention to them, climbing up a dead body to escape from their 
their tank. That's not a narrative point. It just happened in the background and no one stopped them I mean, while they were making the movie. Spoiler alert, Dan. <laughs> spoiler alert. All right, I'm going to cut one of mine again this week because uh, we are running late again. We'll so, be fine. Just do it. Uh, I'm just going to finish on uh, Battles Without Honour or Humanity, um, which I watched in anticipation of new battles coming out later this month. Um, and... If you like The Godfather, if you like Goodfellas, um, then you'll love this film. It basically, the first half is setting up a ton of characters. The second half of the film is killing them off. And, um, it, it sort of, it freeze frames when you meet them, I think, and it definitely freeze frames when they die and it tells you who they are. And, well, because um, it's true, a lot of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um. It's a historical gangster film. It is, it is. Um, but, don't let that put you off. It's no, re- no, not it's at all. Really exciting. Unlike when we accidentally watched a historical Shaw Brothers movie and it was super boring. Oh, <laughs> mama! <laughs> oh boy! No, uh, but yeah, um, it's it's really like violent and cool and beautifully shot, and I couldn't recommend it any set, higher. Isn't it set at the in the post Second World War yeah. Japan when yeah. society was all like J- Japan was feeling very still reeling from the results of the Second World War. They were yeah. feeling there's a lot of sort of cultural. In, interned crossness going on in Japan, and yeah. and it's when the yak is the modern yak is a trend really kind of kicked off. So. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. Dan, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Dan, your your final recommendation, please. Well, after you've waded through all the things we've recommended, the Sam's two and a half hour art film <laughs> and his his long historical diatribe about. <laughs> no, it's not fair at all. They're fantastic films, and and it's not long. It's ninety nine minutes. Dan thought it was two and a half hours. It's not. It's ninety nine minutes. That, that says something more about the film than me. I think. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's very dry, at least. But afterwards, it really isn't. It really is. When the was the last time you watched it? Off, like a it, year and a half ago. It isn't though. It really isn't. Okay, all right. I'll give it another watch. I, 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 I love his films. I don't... Someone has their arm chopped off in the first, like, four minutes. I think you're thinking of something else. Anyway, carry anyway, on. I, I do this occasionally. Right, anyway, my last film was a documentary about cats. <laughs> 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 Tell me more. Uh, my last film is a film is called... Is this something you watched on YouTube? No, this is a thing I watched <laughs> at the BFI. <laughs> uh, it was made last year. Uh, it's called Keddy. K- oh, yeah. K-E-D-I. No, I've heard very good um, things about it. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's uh, an Istanbul street cat documentary. Um, it had the YouTube logo at the front, so I suspect it might be premiering on YouTube Premium, mm. um, which should mean it's super available. I think it, I don't think it got much of a cinema run. Um, but it was, yeah, it's, Beyond heartwarming, absolutely lovely. Amazing. Um, unless you hate cats, in which case it'll be awful because like none of them die, but it's really, really lovely. <laughs> That's cool. Great. All right. Well, um, let's wrap up recommendations there. And as ever, if you want to know what my last one was, then uh, tweet me for goodness' sake. Oh my sake. goodness! <laughs> but yeah, uh, we look. Look, we were on that no, time. We're fine. We didn't do as much messing about at the start this time. No, so we didn't. And we've got, we got two interviews to fit in. So. Yeah. Um, we are going to go straight to extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. And um, I got on the phone to Paul McAvoy uh, this week um, because Fright Fest is around the corner. It's uh, happening at the end of the month. Uh, Arrow's going to be there. Dan and I are going to be there. Yes. Um, so I spoke to Paul, who runs the festival with Ian Rattray, Alan Jones and Greg Day. 
And uh, I started by asking him to describe the festival for someone who's never been before. So have a little listen to that. Okay, well, uh, Fright Fest is it's our 18th year, and it's the UK's largest horror, science fiction, fantasy, and thriller film festival. Uh, we run five days, and we're on Leicester Square, both at the uh, the Empire. Or ne- What's it called now? Is it the Cineworld? Yeah, Cineworld? yeah, yeah. World, and also we're running Prince Charles. We're running both screens of the Prince Charles. So essentially there's five screens running over the entire weekend. And it's all UK, world's and European premieres. Yeah. Um, and there's about 65 films. I think we keep changing the exact numbering. Um, and then there's about 20 or 30 short films as well. Amazing. And we have about mm, 150, 200 plus directors, actors, actresses, producers, musicians, etc., coming in to support all the various screenings. Um, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's like it's horror heaven. If you love genre, it's Christmas for you. Absolutely. And um, you're showing uh, The Villainess, um, which yep. Arrow's releasing, obviously. Absolutely, um, yep. Yeah, what was it about that film that made you decide to pick it for Fright Fest? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but it is absolutely stunning. I yeah. mean, the movie is an incredible work of art. Um, think Nikita meets Kill Bill meets... I don't know. It's just super action-packed. Yeah. Some incredible set pieces. The lead actress is sensational on that. Um, it's been looking to sound brilliant at the Empire screen. So, unmissable. Fantastic. And um, just finally, um, what other picks do you have for people who maybe haven't picked up a ticket yet? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's such a wide variety of stuff. It's really difficult to pick out any... I mean, I've got my personal highlights, of course, but I can't really, you know, say what they are. Yeah, yeah well, that's true. You've got to be a bit political. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's everything this year from amazing science fiction. I mean, Imitation Girl is fantastic. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh, that's actually, Long doing the incredible performance, very kind of under the skin, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, and then there's some like, hardcore gore splatter. I mean, Game of Death is a lot of fun. Great. Mickey Keating Psychopaths. Obviously, we're opening with Chucky, which is great. You know, yeah. the brand new... You know, the, the brand new Chucky, so we've got Fiona and Jennifer and Don coming over for that yeah, big world premiere. That's so cool. But, and Tragedy Girls is an incredible ending. I mean, but there's everything in between this stuff. There's documentary. Yeah. There's Adam and Joe doing their live podcast thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, just a massive variety of stuff. So uh, what I'd say is go on to, on the restaurant, I'm sat next to Jake West. We just, we just, <laughs> <laughs> from, from you, Hello, Jake. Oh, yes. <laughs> 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 Yeah, of course. Yeah, I love Death Lady Note. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, that's fantastic, Paul. And um, yeah, I, I really hope you have another great festival. It is oh, an amazing, you, amazing we event. I appreciate your support. And yeah, and as, as I was in the middle of saying, I think for the best thing for your listeners to do is just check out the website and yeah. have a look at the synopsis and the trailers. And then if, you know, because everybody likes different things. That's like, like zombies, some hate zombies, blah, yeah. blah, blah. There's a massive smorgasbord of... <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Amazing. Right, thank you so much for your time, Paul. And um, yeah, I'll see you in a few weeks. Rock and roll. See you soon. Take it easy. Bye bye.
So that was Paul McAvoy there, um, who is an excellent, lovely man. And if you see him at Fright Fest, you should approach him and congratulate him on his amazing festival. Or just sneak up behind him and give him a hug. Or or do that. Yeah. Or ask him about the time that Christopher Nolan was at Fright Fest, which actually happened and still kind of blows my mind. He was (laughs) not just had a film there he hung out there. just 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 went and watched some films just went and watched some films so also this week uh because free fire's out on blu-ray today uh i got on the phone to the director of free fire ben wheatley um to talk about the inspiration for the film um working with my co-host dan martin on it and uh, also what film he'd like to recommend that arrow release at some point so have a little listen here's ben wheatley hey ben how are you I'm good, Sam. Long time no talk. Yeah, no, it's been ages, hasn't it? Um, yeah. I really enjoyed Free Fire. Um, what inspired you to make it? Um, it was... Uh, I just like those kinds of films. You know, I wanted to see a procedural kind of action movie. Yeah. And I wanted to see something in the close proximity. And I wanted... And I, I kind of read about... Um, uh, what happened in a, uh, some first-hand, first-hand experiences of, like, police and, and, uh, military, what happened in a gun battle, and, and, um, and it seemed not to, re- uh, reflect anything I'd ever seen in cinema. You know, it's a lot yeah. more scrappy, yeah. and a lot more chaotic, and, and a lot more complicated and harder, you know, you kind of, hitting stuff isn't as easy as it is in, in movies, you know, and I, yeah. I, I wondered what that would be like, you know, and, and it kind of sprung out from that, really. Amazing. And um, you've worked with my co-host, Dan Martin, on a few films now. Um, what was he like to work with on Free Fire? Well, Dan's always a pleasure, but, you know, and he's a kind of... Um, I mean, it's one of the great things about making films is you get to work with um, incredible craftspeople um, mm. and artists, and, and, you know, and Dan's prosthetics work is always um, completely meticulous and, and completely well um, uh, thoroughly researched and you know it's just and he's a, he's a great guy to have around so it's kind of you know it's it's one of the it's like they working with people like Dan and, and uh, Bobby and Twistle and Lowry Rose and mm. um, all these guys it's, it's always a, it's one of the best things about making films really yeah, absolutely. And um, what are some of your favourite Arrow releases? I know you love um, Zardos. Um, can you think of any other, yeah. or, or, or if you want to talk about that one in particular? Um, yeah, no, I was I was really happy um, with you know that Zardos got released, and I know that it was a massive kind of um, job to um, remaster it. Mm. Because of the of, because of the way it was shot originally um, and how they exposed it and how they took out the the neg for it and also because it was just a film that we that is slightly unloved so, mm. you know and, and people like to give it a kick because it's an easy kind of thing because of some of the costumes and um, and I think that's the um, and it was great to see it get the respect that it deserves you know and uh, but uh, I don't I mean I, I think that the arrow seems to that, They've got a very broad taste in, in, in movies, so I kind of, you know, from the kind of uh, digging out the, the old eighties classic horror films down to I was I got Future Shot the other day. With, oh, brilliant! Guys, and they documentary, yeah. which I'm a massive fan of, and it's like that's like a nice for me as a man of a certain weight to use um, 
food metaphors is always slightly dodgy, but that to me is like a kind of um, a big piece of cake to eat and uh, absolutely and um, and and warm myself over a bit of nostalgia about 2000 AD. So that that was that was a good one. I like them. And the book that, that they they put out that I did the introduction for it was really interesting as well. You know, and that that, that kind of showed the range of the stuff that they were doing. That's fantastic. And um, you you are also a, a movie obsessive. Um, if you could pick any movie for Arrow to release with loads of extras, um, what would you choose? Um, uh, I mean, it's a, I've got a kind of set of movies that I really that I always try and dig out. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of Arrow's. Uh, you know how how the distribution works in terms of studio stuff. But I mean, a, a film that. Um, I like a lot, which is um, uh, "Who'll Stop the Rain," um, okay. uh, aka Dog Soldiers, but not not that dog. Yeah, soldiers, yeah. Not the one with wheels, but um, and that's a um, that's a perennial favourite of mine. And I always go back to that. Oh, and what makes it so special? Um, well, I think it's because it, it's um, it's a weird one because it, you know it, it's, it's an under underrated film, I think, and it, it's it's a you know, it sits happily in that kind of 70 genre mm. um, uh, movie, but yeah, it's a counterculture movie as well as a road movie and a kind of um, drugs movie and a Vietnam movie, and it's got McNulty in it. It's Michael um, Moriarty and uh, doing really great performances. So that was Ben Wheatley, uh, director of Free Fire, which is out on Blu-ray today. And he had some very nice things to say about you there, didn't he, Dan? He did. That was really nice. Uh, I um, yeah, I felt a warm inside hearing those kind words. Yeah, it's lovely. That was really nice. Yeah. And speaking of Dan, you've got some, uh, <laughs> you've got some emails and stuff, haven't you? Yeah, we've had a few messages. We've done our usual last-minute request for questions from people. Got some uh, good ones. Probably do that earlier, but we have had, <laughs> we've had a good yield. It's, yes. uh, it's quality, not quantity. Uh, we had one from Tim Coleman on Twitter who asked, uh, where do you place this in the pantheon of J-horror? Jamie Graham puts it at, at the top, for me, below Ringu. Dan. Uh, yeah, I think I do put it below Ringu. Ringu is the, I, I saw, <laughs> I saw a bootleg of Ringu about a year and a half, two years before it came out in this country. And I watched it on my own in a room I had painted black. <laughs> <laughs> on a small CRT TV. And uh, it seems to be the way I watch a lot of films, if you think about my story about watching Psycho 2 in a similar way. But um, yeah, absolutely like scared the bejesus out of me in a way that films just don't really do anymore. Same. I, yeah. As a result, it can't be beaten, but I know that some of that is context. Um, uh, I actually think that the two greatest horror premises ever are Ringu, the idea of a creature coming out of the television that you are yeah. probably watching the film on, and a nightmare on Elm Street, which is the idea that um, the monster will get you if you fall asleep. Something we all have to do. So those for me are the two great premises yeah. in all of horror. Unavoidable so, peril. So yeah, I would I would rank Ringu above Pulse as much as I loved it. I'd also rank Hauzu above it, and I'd also rank Audition above it. Yeah, um, but. That doesn't mean it's not a, a fantastic, unbelievable film. I've ranked Audition above almost everything. Yeah, well, apart from Ringu, because you... No, meant... I'd put it above Ringu. Okay, yeah, yeah. Ringu scared me more when I first watched it, and I did see, obviously I saw Audition later, mm. but um, 
I, yeah, the, the audition is an I, unbelievable I watched, masterpiece. I watched the audition on the it's same so good. on in the same room, if not on the same television. Uh, I had I picked up a DVD from Chinatown again before it had come out over here, and I um, I watched it in my like little room. My girlfriend was with me. My then girlfriend was with me. Um, she fell asleep before the, we even really got the film started, and she was asleep across my lap for the entire film. And I squirmed with horror. Uh, without managing not to wake her, but I, I did manage not to wake her. But um, yeah, like I just absolutely blew me away. I, I love auditions so much. Yeah, and it's it, it keeps it keeps its effect as well. Um, I'm now going to very quickly read out some praise that we've received because I feel like it's achingly relevant at this moment. Sam, <laughs> I am now an arrowhead. What a brilliant po- podcast! Thanks for sharing. I could listen to you and Dan for hours. Please, plural, plural hours. P- please get the powers that be to extend your casting to three hours. Love the format too. Felt like something you might find on Channel 4 late at night in the 90s. Um, so yeah, love, lovely, lovely email. Very and nice. hopefully this episode can go to three hours Who because I feel like we need it. That was from Ben Chapman. Yes. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Dan. Um, right, we are definitely going to wrap this up now. We might just do it. Please, you know, and, and actually let's thank Mike. Um, Mike who, Hewitt from Mike, Arrow. Mike Hewitt from Arrow who... Um, edits all of these things and not only puts up with the nonsense that you're hearing now he also puts, puts up with all the nonsense we put in between and before all the stuff he um, has to cut out all the stuff he has to cut out when, when we're rambling on all so, the slander all the slander and, and the, the heavy the, the heavy swear words um, so thank you Mike and uh, let's do a quick shout out to our Twitter accounts <laughs> <laughs> that's the words that's the words you wanted yes yes I'm, I'm rushing Dan I'm rushing you can get me at Sam Ashurst which is S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T and trust me it's brilliant Dan we should just put these in the bio so that we don't have to spell them out every time I quite like it no one reads the bio come on do oh. yours uh, I'm uh, at 13 finger FX uh, the number 13 F-I-N-G-E-R like the things on your hands uh, F for Foxtrot, X for X-Ray. Um, and it's increasingly about film, because I feel like I need to now. But it's also mostly pictures of my dog. Yeah, and he's a very handsome dog. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we promise we'll be more professional next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.